Welcome to Opening the Door Podcast. Join me as we unlock the door to our psychic and mediumship abilities. Today, you'll hear a conversation I had with Asha Frost. We chat through her book and her oracle deck. Asha really infuses this episode with medicine, just like her book and oracle deck. And I'm so excited for you all to hear this. Her book and deck are both linked in the show notes. And before we hop into this episode, I also wanted to let you know that my website is now live. We went live with it last week. You can find the podcast, shop for guided meditations and mini readings. And also my books are officially open for longer virtual uh, in-person readings too. So I'm excited to be taking this next step in my journey and this podcast and you as a community really helps me get there. So I am so grateful for you. My website is also linked in the show notes. Enjoy the show and remember, don't be afraid to open your door. Today, we are welcoming Asha to Opening the Door. Asha Frost is the best-selling author of You Are the Medicine, an indigenous healer, oracle deck creator, mentor, and mama. Asha's life work is to help you to connect to the medicine that has always been within you. The spark, the illumination, the power, it is all there waiting to be seen, felt, and claimed. Asha, welcome to Opening the Door. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So honored to have you here and chat through your amazing book, amazing Oracle deck. I was pointed to your work by Heather Waxman, who has also been on the podcast. She talked us all through breath work and so, so happy to have found your work and, and have begun working with your Oracle deck and, and your book as well. So what a gift to the world that your work is. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad it touched you. Can you first tell us a little bit about where your spiritual journey began? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess it began at birth or before birth, right? But I think like it got, um, it got initiated really when I got sick. So I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 17. And at that time, I was kind of terrified and also the only options I had at the time were to take steroids and an anti-malarial drug, and they made me really sick. So I needed to find something else. So it just put me on this path of finding alternative ways to heal and coming back to the earth, coming back to my spirit, listening. I went to see a lot of healers at the time, and they really helped me to connect to the spiritual connection that was already there, but it just hadn't been nourished or nurtured to the point that I needed it to be. So that really opened up the world of the spiritual realm and my spirit and connecting back to my indigenous roots. And it was the catalyst for my journey. Can you speak a little bit more about what it was like to root deeper into your own cultural indigenous heritage? Yeah, I think it was a gradual process. And I think that I didn't know necessarily how assimilated I was because it was a survival technique, I guess, that my parents, we, we grew up in a very white neighborhood. Um, there's a lot of Indigenous people here. And I think that assimilation is a survival tactic that, that we use to, to fit in, to not be different, to not have racist comments sent our way. So... It, it wasn't that I wasn't exposed to Indigenous teachings. My mother always had them around the home and she spoke of them, but it was just that it, it seemed separate from me. So 
that lupus diagnosis brought me back to like a reconnection and sort of, I felt like this fire got ignited again and remembering that was always within me, which is why I called the book, you are the medicine, because it was my experience that that medicine was already there. It was dormant. And I just needed some experiences to wake it up or some, yeah, like a catalyst to wake it up. So what I came to know was that there was different ways of knowing and being and gathering that information because, because of residential school trauma and all of those breaking points, I didn't have the access to elders and teachers the way that some others would have had or some others do have. So I had to find different ways of accessing that information, which included through my dream time, through shamanic journeys, through listening with the land. Um, yeah, there's just, there's different ways of me accessing that information that came through. And that was, that was really powerful. I'm still listening and learning every day. Amazing. So in your bio, we touched on one of the things that you do is Indigenous healing. You call yourself an Indigenous healer. And I'm wondering if you can sort of define what that means to you to be an Indigenous healer. Yeah, well, it started, you know, I was a homeopath. I graduated from homeopathic college when I was 27 and I started a practice and it was energy healing, you know, homeopathy is energy healing. And I loved using these remedies and I saw the impact that it made on people's spirits and their bodies and their minds and their hearts. And there was a part of my indigenous soul that knew this, knew that holistic framework. But again, going to school for homeopathy was just that sort of catalyst to open that up. I was really inspired by homeopathic medicine. And then I realized, oh, this way of knowing and being and seeing the world and seeing health and seeing wellness really aligns with who I am as an Indigenous person, who I am in my bones and my blood. And then healing started to just pour out of me in that way. So I did take some, some training, some shamanic like in training from Indigenous people that really spoke to my spirit and it came really effortlessly. And so as an Indigenous healer, I think it is seeing our being as more than just our body, as more than just our spirit, seeing the wholeness of who we are and treating ourselves in that way, not just as some of our parts, but that holistic way of seeing things, knowing that we're part of creation, knowing that we have that responsibility to be reciprocal to every aspect of creation. And in my healing work, it was always bringing us back to that wholeness and that remembering that we're not broken, that as a part of creation, we go through death cycles, rebirth cycles, um, rest cycles, all of those things. We are earth. So that's how, that's what informed my healing, I think. Beautiful. Yeah, that that reminds me of a part in your book where that really touched me was when you mentioned sort of just seeing somebody in their wholeness and not seeing somebody as yeah like broken parts or a broken person and seeing them and holding them as one whole being felt so just like fed my soul when I read it I was like oh wow like that feels so um beautiful and amazing so yeah um I love sort of that the holistic way of of looking at healing our our spirit and our soul with earth and and all that wonderful wonderful stuff so before we dive into some of the wonderful concepts in your book obviously we're not going to be able to touch on everything but I just wanted to say that this book feels so 
imbued with medicine and it feels just like an absolute generous, generous gift to the world. So I just want to say first, thank you so, so much for, you know, putting this book together and putting it out into the world. My goodness. Thank you. You know, when I think back to writing it, because people have asked, oh, when's your next book coming? And to be honest, I don't have much more to pour in in that way because I really put a lot into those words and into those pages. I know more is going to come and ideas are starting to kind of formulate, but I really feel like I, I used that time as like, if this is my only book that I'm ever going to be able to share, how can I put, pour all of it in there? So thanks for reflecting that back to me. Yeah, absolutely. Every, every word, every page has, is just so, so, so packed. And if anybody's listening, totally, you know, I'll put the link to the book in the show notes. Absolutely. As well. Such a great book to pick up. So in your book, you reference this idea of putting your finger on your ancestral pulse. And mm-hmm. I, I love the imagery that that creates. And I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit more to that idea. And if you have any tips for anybody who might be feeling a little bit lost from their own ancestry and is, is looking to do the same thing. Yeah, I think as a majority, we are all disconnected from our ancestry. It's not something that we're conditioned to learn about or to connect to. It's only recently that it's become kind of the in thing, right? To connect to our ancestors. And I think that first of all, they live within our blood. They live within our memories. They live, they dreamed us here. So we have to think of our energetic field as a living, breathing response to their dream or a creation of their dream. And if we start there, then I think we can feel their presence behind us or in our nighttime dreaming or in the stars, just starting with the premise of trusting that that is indeed true. And of course, we hold um, so much of them within ourselves and within ourselves. So I think that's an important place to start. And I think it's important to give a lot of space to the grief too of what has been broken, what has been taken away, what has been lost. Because if we just try to leap into the ancestral connection, we don't validate that story of what actually has happened and why perhaps we're not connected to our ancestors anymore. And even the ways of living and being now, how that disconnects us from taking time to listen, taking time to journey, taking time to sit with perhaps even elders or storytellers to listen to having a tea with them and listening to their stories and what they have to teach us. I think that all of those things we can grieve. I think that's important. And then to actually connect. I think that I love journeying for that way in the communities that I share my medicine in. When we do a journey, there's been so many people saying to me, I felt that I could feel the warmth of them. I felt them at the fire. I saw them. I didn't know that was an ancestor of mine. So I think it's practice. I think it's just practice connecting in different ways than our mind is telling us to. Our mind tells us to do the, go do the DNA or the the ancestry test and then find out Mm. all the information. Those are great ways, but how can we untangle a little bit from that colonial way of being and then sit with our spirit and their spirit and see what they have to tell us. Hmm. Thank you so much for that, that explanation. Something that's sort of popping up as a question right now is that if there is, let's say a lot of hurt in our family lineage, whether that be maybe um, things that our ancestors committed that were, you know, terrible things or, um, you know, things that our ancestors might've had to go through that were terrible things, all this hurt, how, what are some things that we can do to sort of recognize, reconcile 
with, with those feelings that come through with ancestor work as well. Yeah. I think those are very, very valid. I have so many folks telling me, I don't even like my ancestors. So I didn't like, I wasn't connected to my grandparents or they were mean and (laughs) they were nasty. So first of all, I want to differentiate between your lived, you know, your ancestors that you're connected to from a lineage perspective and from a familial perspective, and then ancestral spirit as a realm. And I call them the star ancestors. So they're the beings that I feel just like the animal spirit realm, the angels, the ancestors are this beautiful, supportive um, energy that feel like great star beings to me energetically when they come in and they stand around us and they support us. So if you feel really averse to connecting to the, the ones that were in your family, you can open yourself up to those star beings and ask, what are you here to tell you? And maybe can you help me with the healing and reconnection that is needed in my family line? And making big space, I always love to just make big space, like how much space does this need, does this pain and hurt need, because what we do is we often oppress ourselves or un- or compress ourselves and all of that pain, and then it gets all tangled up inside. So how can we make big space for the stories of our family that perhaps are wounded or there's trauma there? And so many of us have those. And I do believe that our ancestors choose can choose it's a choice of healing on the other side so they pass through the rainbow bridge or they go to another level and I think some of them want to stay where they're at and they don't necessarily want to do any of that reconciliation and many of them do and so you can even ask you know if there's a being or a a person that you thought well I know there was like some something there that I, I wish I was connected to but maybe they were just had a lot of trauma in their lives you can ask you know are you ready to do some healing Maybe put a, put an offering down for them, light a candle for them um, if it feels important to you and you want to develop a connection to them. I do believe we can do healing for them. Um, one of our practices is to feast our ancestors, to do a ceremony for them. So perhaps that, that guides you if you really feel like, oh my goodness, I sort of missed my connection with my grandparents and I wish that it was stronger. So do a little ceremony for them. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Love all those thoughts. Something that you discuss also in your book is finding your original instructions. And from looking at your work and and everything you're doing, it really feels like you have strongly, obviously connected to your original instructions. And I'm wondering how people might be able to just, just start sort of getting an inkling of what their original instructions might be for them. Yeah. You're right. I think I do have a really strong connection. You're the first person that's reflected that back to me. I think I do have a strong connection to my original instructions. And I will say it's from a lot of trial and error. It's from a lot of practice and it's from a lot of putting myself out there. And I think because of the people that I mentor and and are in my community, I know what rises up when you feel terrified of doing those things. I know the blocks that come when you're asked to be more visible or put your medicine into practice and how it's, it's a lot of fumbling. So I want to normalize that it doesn't feel comfortable to constantly keep returning to those original instructions. And I believe we all have them and they are all so powerful, sort of coming through our awareness at all times. And it's up, it's our responsibility to listen. So I think if you feel lost or I don't have a medicine, I don't have a purpose. I get that. I get that disorientation because I go through cycles of that too. And I think that what I know to be true is that your medicine 
doesn't have to be something where you just think, oh my gosh, like you have this gift as a channeler or a psychic, you know, it sometimes we think it has to be like grand and great like that. But I believe that it can be as simple as like your human touch, your smile, the presence you bring into a room, the sound of your voice, start there, like start there and say, what lights people up when I'm around them? What do people reflect back to me when after they've spent time with me, after they've read something I've written? Start there and see what that reflection in a mirror is. Or what do I value in other people? What, what inspires me? Because you know those pieces and parts are part of you because you're resonant with them. So our original instructions are constantly speaking to us through our reflections, through others, through what we're inspired by. We simply have to kind of claim it and and root it down and say, right, that's a part of me. So mm-hmm. it does take a bit of work. And I think that sometimes we think it should just be easy and it takes a bit of work to root them down and continue to trust that you're heading in the right direction. The world needs you to share your medicine. I believe that. And what I see a lot of is, is people getting inundated by the messages either from the collective, from inside voices, from voices that are not our own, that stop us. So how can we do the work to listen to those and validate and honor them and then move them out so that we can be returned back to those instructions? Yes, absolutely love that. I think in this day and age, especially with social media, all types of news outlets, the internet, there are millions of voices that you could be listening to. And I think it's a really important note that you're making to ground back into your own voice and and what you can receive from your ancestors or any type of thing like that. And just to know also there is a original instructions journeying exercise in this book. So if you're feeling really called to this type of thing, definitely pick the book up. I'll be plugging it all through this episode because it's so (laughs) great. So one of my favorite ideas in this book that really deeply resonated with me is the idea from the bare moon chapter. And just some of these phrases are miracles stem from darkness. Creation comes from the void. Magic comes from the void. And for some reason, this just speaks to me so deeply. I, I just love the idea of that. And I'm wondering if you can sort of expand upon this topic for our listeners a little bit. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because I go through the void. It feels like a lot. And maybe we all do, but I think I'm present to it when it comes because I know on the other end, there is magic and medicine from it. But, you know, the void, first of all, the void, you know, we think about the shadow and the darkness. And I think we're talking more collectively about uh, the medicine of that than we used to. It used to be really light and love in the new age spaces, right? And high vibration and all of this. And we can forget that without the darkness, we cannot see the stars. Without the darkness, we cannot see the moon. We came from darkness. Creation comes from darkness. So even if we think about that one phrase, creation comes from darkness. When you're going through a shadowy time, a dark time, a time where you feel disoriented, where it might be a death of of something in your life and you feel low, what creation is brewing under the scenes. And I just went through one of these phases actually with my health and I ended up in the hospital and um, I was, I was in a lot of pain and I kept thinking, you got to stay with this. And even I've been through this so many times, you got to stay with this because you know that there's going to be something that's going to drop in 
when you move through the cycle. And I talked about that book idea, right? And there was a nothing in my sphere or energetic space for a long time. But uh, in the hospital, I, it started to drop in. And I thought, oh my goodness, yes, of course, because I was so full of whatever I was filled up with that was not serving me anymore. I had to clear that out to be in the void, which is so damn uncomfortable to sit there because it's nothingness. And you think, am I ever going to be inspired again? What's my purpose here? You know, I have nothing even to write in social media. And do, do I even matter anymore? <laughs> so it's all these like, am I relevant kind of questioning that I think comes up through any creation cycle. And on the other end, there is creation. So I've gone through this so many times in my life, one of them being, and I wrote about it in the book, where I let go of my private practice for a while. And that was terrifying for me because I'm very much like, how am I going to pay my bills? All the things. And my son was conceived, my second child that I wasn't planning on. So I know he's a miracle and he would not have come in without that void. So that's how I know. It's been mm. proven to me over and over again. And each time I go through it, it's really hard. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I think I sort of got a message from my guides the other day which was very short and sweet, but yeah, I've been feeling a little angsty, you know, a little in that, in a dark shadowy, it sort of felt like it came on very quickly for me. And the message that I got from my guides was just peaks and valleys. And there's going to be beautiful, beautiful peaks where you can see over all of that and, and see all the good that's come. And there's going to be valleys where just, a, just like you said, that sort of questioning, like what is going on? <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. So woven through the chapters of this book are a lot of tips and thoughts about how to um, reject colonizer mindsets, white supremacy, patriarchal conditioning that comes with living on this earth. Can you tell me one or two ways or things that you have done that have been really healing for you to reject those damaging systems? Hmm. It is a huge practice, I think. And it's a really embodied practice for me when I feel like I'm coming up against a strong colonial energy or strong supremacy culture energy, I feel it in my body. It'll feel like pressure in my chest. It'll take my breath away. So I've learned to trust myself and not dismiss that and say, what's wrong with me? Why can't I go along with this? Because of it appears as though the rest of society is, and uh, many, many of society is because that's what we're conditioned to do. So it's, it's honoring myself that I can choose something different that is re-indigenizing my cells and my, the way of being that I know is right for me. And that might not be right for everyone, but it really is listening to the signals of my body. And this especially is relevant in negotiations, like business negotiations, negotiations with, I have to be in this world where I'm negotiating with systems that are in colonial, you know, that, that's the way they work. That's the way they operate. So how do I do the dance between that? And how do I do it in my integrity where I'm not sacrificing myself? That's been one of the hardest journeys, I think, in really becoming more visible and putting my book out in the world. Uh, how do I negotiate in a way that still feels like I'm not reenacting that colonial harm? Because even if I have to be in a colonial system or I have to engage in this, I do not want to perpetuate more harm. 
So that means to me, continue to speak up when I do feel that something is harmful. I'm sharing my voice with these with with these people in power sometimes where it's really challenging. So finding courage to do that. So it's a constant practice. And I'm always dancing between the two worlds because that this I don't think that the patriarchy, I don't think that capitalism is going anywhere anytime soon. So we have to learn how to dance in it. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's yeah, thinking about capitalism and patriarchy and and all of this. And it's like the system, if if you don't participate, you're either like kind of rich enough to be able to go live off grid and not participate, or you have to participate to have a roof over your head. So yeah, there it's it's absolutely a a dance to uproot what you can uproot and and also to live on earth comfortably. Yes, it really is. And I think I think there's no shame in that. I think sometimes we feel like it's either or it has to be so black and white where it's like, I'm so anti-capitalistic or I'm so, and I just don't know if, um, if that's really sustainable. I think we can do that for a couple of months, but I don't. And you're right. You need, you do need to have money to live in those ways. So I think that the dance is the only thing I've figured out so far and the speaking up, I think when, when I can, you know, and I can just share, well, this how do we sort of re-indigenize spaces in general? I think that's a really good way to, to see things. And we're all doing our best in that way. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your absolutely beautiful Oracle deck. So this was the first of yours. I got the Oracle deck and then I grabbed your book as well. So can you tell me a little bit about what your inspiration behind this deck was and how you went about creating it? Oh, yes. My inspiration started, I wanted a deck when I was 20. I remember I went to a Hay House conference and I loved the deck creators. I thought this is such an amazing way to share medicine. And I was a deck collector and I would use them in my healing circles and my workshops with my clients. I had so many decks. I just, I loved them. And I got to really know the way that they worked and the way they interacted with each other, the ones that I loved, the ones that really spoke to me. So I, you know, I read through all the guidebooks all the time and just, I got to know the medicine of the decks. And when I got the book deal, I, somebody asked me, what is your biggest dream? And I said, it's to have an Oracle deck. So she's a, she's a huge help and sister to me. And she's part of like a big part of Hay House. And she says, okay, well, let's help you do that. So I really had some help in, in just, you know, this is what my next play, my next vision was. And I knew that the beings that would come forward for this, I want to have, I think I have going to have three decks. That's my vision, but the, the ones that were going to come forward for this were going to be connected to the teachings that I have immersed myself in. And they kind of, they just came forward. So who wants to be part of this? And they would come forward one by one as a medicine being, or they'd have like a medicine person standing with them, offering them to me. And they all interacted with one another. They all felt like they were a family or they were kin to each other. So it was a, it was beautiful to create that deck. I, it was fun. I'd say it was more joyful than writing a book, to be honest. Mm, yes. This deck definitely has a really potent medicinal vibe, but also yes. So joyful, beautiful colors, and um, I use this deck. I like to read Oracle for other people, but I actually use this deck only personally. It feels 
feels like a very personal deck. So yeah, just absolutely love it. What are, I'm wondering, what are some of your favorite cards in the deck to pull? I love that question. Your questions are great. Uh, I love the strawberry card. I, I just love strawberry medicine. So that one really speaks to me. I love the seer card. That one really speaks to me because I just feel like it really speaks to the potency of the, of that re-indigenized way of knowing and being. I love the plant medicine card, sensitivity. That just speaks to my sensitive soul. Those are the three that sort of really stand out to me. That, And I think it was when I saw the artwork, some of the artwork just took my breath away. And those are three that I remember thinking, oh, they're perfect, approved. <laughs> yes, I love, I also love the strawberry card. A strawberry is one of my sort of um, signs that I use for my guides asking them to show me a strawberry. So I also love the strawberry oh. card. So, so beautiful. And I think um, cedar was the very first card that I ever pulled from the deck. So that one also has a, um, like a special, special place in my heart. And it felt so spot on when I pulled it. It just felt like this deck is is so intuitive on its own almost like it has its own intuition in inside of it you know so it it just felt so so nice yeah thank you for reflecting that bag it's so interesting to create something with an intention of having it be alive in its own way and having because once you release it to the world you don't really have control over what it's going to do but it does feel alive it does feel like the spirits in each card are doing their thing and interacting with one another and some of the feedback that i've received has been that. And that's been the most joyful thing for me to receive because you really have no idea until it goes out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is, it is totally alive and and kicking on its own, which I absolutely love. So we've been chatting obviously a lot about your book, about your deck. And I'm wondering if you can tell us who should be using your, your book and your deck. Is it for everyone? Is it for a specific group of people? And um, who did you sort of write these tools for? I did write them for everyone. And it's been a question that I actually wasn't expecting to receive. I didn't receive it for my book. So that was interesting to me. But for the deck, people started saying, I'm feeling uncomfortable using these. Are these for me? And some Indigenous people would consider some of these teachings closed Indigenous practices. However, the way I wrote the deck wasn't to say, okay, here's a smudge card. Now go and wave a smudge stick around. It was very much here's the medicine. And the the thing is, I think that we don't remember is that people are going to do what they're going to do anyways. No matter if I say yes or no, I'm not policing anybody. It's between you and creator. So I wrote this deck for everyone with the hopes that these teachings and medicines and words and images and beautiful artwork would invite you into the Indigenous experience, would even invite you into a more of a decolonial you know, non-capitalistic or, or whatever those kind of like unwinding those systems just by looking at the cards and using them that you'd feel the re-indigenization of your own system and soul. That was my hope. And so when I put them out there and I got those questions, I thought it was interesting because I really created them to help with reconciliation, to help bring us together, to help as a relationship and an invitation for that. So that's who I created them for. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I think when I first saw this deck, I was very excited about it. And I think, yeah, I did look through your social media to make sure that it would be appropriate for 
me to you. So I, I love that you answered that question there in case anybody was wondering as we talked through. I've got two more questions for you before we go. What do you think that the world would be like if everybody found the medicine within themselves and within their own cultures even, maybe instead of appropriating what they're seeing? What do you think the world would be like if that happened? I think it would be so powerful. I think that part of the competition and comparison, not that I don't compare, you know, and and I feel really rooted in my medicine, but I think part of that insecurity that just roams around everywhere is because we're not connected to our medicine. So I think if everyone took up that space, you know, I write about this in the chapter about animal spirits and clans. If everybody connected from an indigenous perspective, we have our clan and that is our purpose. And we live that purpose out. And we see the value in somebody else's clan, even if it's different than ours and we don't have those gifts, we cannot carry all the gifts in the world. We have our own set of particular ones that we carry. If we could know that, claim it, just like humbly hold it, I think the world would be so beautiful because we would be in relationship with everyone else's medicines and see that it was a balance, that we needed every single person to balance this world out. But but that's not where we're at. I think that there's just, there's those of us that have been perhaps wounded and then we can't, you know, there's blocks to finding that. Or some of these systems have really impacted us and then we we cannot connect to those things. So I dream of that world. I think it's happening like slowly. I think people are, folks are finding and sharing and starting to connect to those. So I hold that vision. Yeah, I I, I do as well. And I, I hope that one day the world can get there. Okay. One last question for you. This is, this is sort of a riff off of the general question that I asked, but I wanted to make it very specific to your work. So um, I'm going to quote your book here for a second. So in your book, you say, medicine is something we all carry birthed from our ancestors and held by our spirit. And I'm wondering how can we learn to recognize our medicine in ourselves and in our lives? Hmm. I think that's some of the things that I spoke about before, you know, seeing what's reflected back to us in the world is really important. Seeing, I think there's a level of hmm, intentional noticing and intentional reflection, like really reflecting on those things, on those things I spoke about, like being in the world and what do people, how do people respond to you? What do they say about your presence? I do feel our presence is powerful. And I think that we've been conditioned to not remember those things that we have to do and we have to try harder and we have to be more. And there's always that, again, I think it's a supremacy culture that's pulling us out of ourselves. That's saying like, if you just achieve this, then you will get somewhere versus, oh, what about some internal reflection and some internal processing and some healing that's going to make you more of who you are. So I would say more internal energy versus the external energy is going to help us. Wonderful. Asha, thank you so, so much for being here. Can you tell listeners where they can find you if they're interested in picking up your book, your deck and and following along on uh, everything that you're doing? Yeah. So Instagram is where I'm at the most right now. It's asha.frost. And my book, You Are the Medicine, is anywhere books are sold. And the Sacred Medicine Oracle is the same. And I'd be so grateful if you if you let me know what you think in, in a DM. I always love receiving those. 
Amazing. Asha, thank you so, so much for infusing your medicine into this episode with me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you love the podcast and listen on Apple, please be sure to rate and leave a review. If you want more from Opening the Door, follow along on Instagram at Opening the Door Podcast. Have a question about psychic work or psychic development? Email openingthedoorpodcast at gmail.com and you might have your question included in one of our future Q&A episodes.